today on Well Not Perfect, I have a guest who doesn't just talk the talk, but walks the walk. I'd like to introduce you to Mason Spector, the co-founder of Mad Happy, a global lifestyle and apparel brand on a mission to create a more optimistic and inclusive world. Mason has been named Forbes 30 Under 30 and is changing the world through his platform and lifestyle brand. Sit down, get cozy, and join us as we talk about our personal missions to continue to disrupt the stigma of mental health and use our platforms to make this world a more optimistic place. And I think the whole idea around optimism was really like, there's so much in life that we can't control. And I always try and really focus and, and invest my time and energy on the things that I can control, that I can have a difference on. And I think one of those biggest things is our mindset and, and our attitude and like how we wanna approach every day. And I think if we can choose to kind of lead with optimism in that way that it will really live to such a beautiful life. Today, you will learn the benefit of therapy, why it's important to see mental health as a social issue, and how businesses like Mad Happy are using their platforms and brands to disrupt the mental health stigma. Welcome to another episode of Well, Not Perfect. What we were just talking about a second ago was how sometimes we wait for things to be perfect in order to change, whether it's disaster and we hit rock bottom and we change, or we want something to look perfect and feel perfect before we make the leap of faith and how that can actually be unnecessary. We can make those changes before we hit rock bottom. And you were just saying that you did hit rock bottom and you tell people that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, what was going on when you, when you were there? I had just gone through a breakup and I have been struggling with like sex and love addiction since I was like a teenager. So I was investing all of my happiness and, and self-worth and everything into these relationships. And when I lost that, I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't have any relationship with myself. I didn't love myself. Um, I felt kind of useless. And I basically convinced myself that I make everyone's lives harder. I was like, I clearly made my girlfriend's lives harder. I make my business partner's lives harder because I'm not smart enough or I don't work hard enough. I make my parents' lives harder because I was always the problem child that was moving around schools and all that stuff. Uh, I definitely make my own life harder with all this self-sabotaging behavior and, and different things like that. And kind of just got to a place where I didn't really want to live anymore. And like enough days of kind of telling yourself those things. And, and it really does seem like the best option and like the most comfortable option. Um, and I got super scared and, and didn't really recognize who I was in that moment. So I decided to go away to treatment. Um, I got sober, I got some help and, and it really set me on this journey that I'm still on and, and that I'll be on for the rest of my life. And I think now one of the things that I'm most passionate about is, is kind of getting people to want to make that change or take that first step or, or go to that first meeting before they get to the point that I was at. And I think, it's weird how change is so hard for us, even though it's such an inevitable part of life. And and I know I was certainly justifying every excuse as to why it wasn't time yet, or I'm going to be okay, or I had a good week, or I, I didn't act out for a couple of days, I got this, um, and all these kind of things. But I feel like if we can just get people to take that step before they get to that dark place, then we could really save a lot of lives. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I tell clients that if you spend majority of your day trying to rationalize and justify why you did something or why something's okay, then it's not okay because you shouldn't be explaining your behaviors half the day. Um, 
that's a sign that you're, you're in it so much that you're either acting out or explaining the way that you're acting out, um, in your words. And so that can just highlight the fact that you're in it and you're in it deep. And, you know, if you are spending most of your day in that darker place, um, I mean, there's a sign that you need to get help. Did somebody say something to you or was it your own? What was like that moment? It was definitely on my own. I mean, I wasn't in a place where I had a really strong support system. Uh, so I could kind of put on a happy face and and show up at work. And sure, I wasn't fully engaged, but I could do enough to kind of get by for the sun to go down. Um, I ended up having a suicide attempt and kind of what I was referring to earlier, being really scared, it was almost like I, I had an out of body experience and, and I kind of snapped back into my body and was just absolutely terrified and just did not recognize this person or this moment. Um, and I was terrified. So I immediately drove to my mom's house and, and kind of just broke down to her. She called my dad and, and he came over and the three of us were just kind of in bed crying and just kind of holding each other in that moment. And I just remember saying, I need help. I need help. And, and I want to go away. Um, and they understood that. And, and that was kind of my initial outreach for support in that moment. That's amazing to have that support system and have that resource and having those parents, you know, would you think that your mental health should look different if you have supportive parents or do you think that mental health is mental health despite what kind of parents you have yeah i think i think a little of both i mean i think no one can do anything by themselves right i don't care if you are the president of the world or you work just like a nine to five right no one can really build the life that they want alone so i don't think that that support in our mental health has to come from parents i think it's great. Some people are going to have loving parents who believe in that. Some people don't. Some people don't even have parents. And I don't think that's like a barrier for people to be able to have a good relationship with their mental health. I just think it's about building your support system, whatever that looks like. If it's a friend, if it's a therapist, if it's a person you just know on the internet that don't even know in real life, there's like so many different ways now with, with the accessibility to find people who are going through something that you're going through and, and really being able to rely on them, uh, to make you feel better and, and hold you accountable and, and all these kind of things. Yeah. There's so many resources that are emerging and in your industry, where are you noticing things emerge that you haven't seen? Like maybe like five years ago. Yeah. I mean, when we started Matt happy, uh, back in early 2017, we all grew up in LA. Uh, so we kind of grew up on Fairfax and, and Melrose and we were really into like the streetwear culture and the scene. And, and I have all these memories still of just walking into a store and it making me feel like I really wasn't cool enough or like sometimes the employee like wouldn't even say hi. And it was just really uncomfortable and exclusive and felt very judgmental. Uh, so when we were starting Mad Happy, it was like, let's, let, let's flip that streetwear narrative on its head and let's like let's come with beautiful colors uh let's come with some really positive inclusive messaging and let's really have this be like for everyone and really want to bring people together and make them feel good about themselves was like our biggest goal um and obviously we had we had the mission of the brand at that time too which kind of played into mental health and then we came up with this idea of like the local optimist group to really build our community and really build the company around this belief in optimism and i think the whole kind of fashion landscape as a whole, 
uh, is starting to trend a bit more into that direction of like, there's, there's no more time for the negativity. Uh, people are super conscious of how they want to represent themselves and where they want to spend their money and, and whatever brand they're putting across their chest needs to be fully transparent with what this says about me. Yeah, absolutely. And I can relate, uh, in a different field, but I came into mental health and opened my practice in 2017 and decided to disrupt mental health in the similar way that you talked about disrupting your field, which is I came in and decided to do it right, to do it happy, to do it different. And the way that I thought about it was I'm going to do therapy outside my four walls. So what does that look like? And that started looking like public talks, public speaking workshops in gyms, workshops in yoga studios, workshops in the community center, and then doing booths at high school, giving out swag that people want. And we wanted the brand and the symbolism of the business, which is called simply B and it's B E E. We wanted that symbolism to go way beyond therapy so that when people thought about mental health, they thought about something that was bright and open and actually not in this like enclosed dark four rooms. And even when I was picking our first location, I picked offices in a building that were double glass doors, transparent into the waiting room. And I struggled with that because everyone would tell me probably by discipline or principle that that would not be okay because of confidentiality, or that would not be okay. And I thought, well, there's a way to work around that if someone's not comfortable to be in the room. But I also think that there's a symbolism of double glassed doors looking mm -hmm. into our space that shows people from the lobby access that we're not hiding on the 10th floor in the back hallway with arrows pointing to like a tree and it's discreet, right? We talk about that a lot too. And I think it's so important in changing the way that the mental health landscape looks in general, right? I think that's so awesome that you did that to really help destigmatize it. Like there doesn't need to be this anonymity when we're going to therapy. It's like we need to somehow turn that shame into pride. And like someone who goes to the gym, they're walking out on the street and their workout clothes and they're walking right in and like they feel great about themselves. That's you taking care of your physical health. It, it should really be the same sort of approach and mindset to you taking care of your mental health, walking out of that therapy building on the ground floor and, and feeling really, really great about yourself and everything that you're doing. There's no shame in that to me. If anything, to me, that really shows courage and, and a lot of strength. I'm curious if you've seen like, since you started five years ago, or almost five years ago, how clients and, and kind of the community has responded to your different approach in your practice. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about that just because obviously as a business owner, you need to think about your marketability and your community and your networking. And I thought about how we're doing. And I realized that what we've put out there, we've attracted. So mm -hmm. the feedback loop is we put out this attitude that mental health is health and that it is bright and it is growth oriented along with everything else that we know about mental health. And those people have come to us and have called and have been in our services and have referred other people. And I believe that the people who do not think like us have been repelled. And I find that to be a good approach. I will repel those who will judge our open-mindedness. I'll repel those who do not have a belief system of inclusion. So fortunately we've created a culture of clients, including a culture of employees who 
know the mission and that is to provide services for all people. And these conversations I have, because I do what I do for a profession and you do what you do for your profession. I mean, I think we may, or speaking for myself, I take advantage of the fact that I'm pro mental health and I meet pro mental health. And I just feel like I don't have barriers or I don't have walls. I need to knock down for myself. Cause I've just like been immersed in this, but then I think about those who are not supported are not immersed in pro mental health life. Um, whether it's where they live or who they live with and they have huge walls. Um, and our mission is to, you know, break those walls down and let them in, you know, and kind mm -hmm. of do that inclusion. How are you, um, how are you kind of engaging and serving those people who may not be in, um, these types of conversations on a day-to-day -day basis, like we are? Yeah, I think that's, that's a great question. It makes me think of what you were saying earlier. Like if someone isn't ready and willing to have that conversation, like they're not going to be ready and willing to have that conversation. And like, we can't help everybody, but we can really believe in what we do and double and triple down on it. And I do believe that eventually people who aren't ready to let those walls come down, like everyone will have a moment in their life, in my opinion, where it's like, I, I need some help and I do need to go work with someone and like maybe just poke a little hole through my wall just to see what it feels like. I mean, I feel like everyone in the world will go through struggles and will have hard times. I think that's just inevitable part of the human existence. And that's really what like mad happy means at its core to us is like the essence of life, like the inevitability of the struggle and there's going to be great times too. And, and the more that we kind of sit in both of them when they're going on and really value both of them kind of the more balanced and fulfilled life that we can be like without sadness, there would be no happiness, right? So they really are equally as important. Uh, but even with like friends and things who've been struggling that I've been trying to help, I always have to remind myself, like, I can't do this for you. Like you need to be ready and willing to do the work or to have the conversation. And then by all means, I will stay up with you all night holding your hand, but it really has to be you coming and knocking on the door. I, I can't be chasing those people down. Yeah. There's an episode I just recorded with Morgan's message and it's a nonprofit built out of, um, from a family and friends of a female lacrosse player who died by suicide. And this whole episode from the two friends and teammates was how do you set boundaries and be a friend who with a friend who's struggling so that you are taking care of yourself at the same time and setting boundaries is a form of love. We don't always realize that we think it's assertive or we think it's too firm. And we talked a lot about like what it means to have boundaries with those you love and those who are asking for help, but maybe not using the help where you give them resources and they don't use the resources and how taxing that can feel mm -hmm. on a friend who's not a trained professional. And mm -hmm. some of the things that we talked about was really setting up situations where it was like an example, you know, just cause we're talking about the sandwiching. So take care of yourself before you talk to them, time limit, how much you talk to them and how much you engage them and support them. And then sandwich it with something positive afterwards. So you're really kind of, you know, you're kind of creating this little sliver of your day that's committed to them, but it doesn't really color the whole day for you. And that was yeah. just an example of one way to you know, love through boundaries. Yeah, I, I definitely struggle with that a lot too. being kind of a natural empath. It's it's so easy for me to do that. And I really love to do it. I think 
for anyone, it's so much easier to give advice than to take advice. Uh, a saying that I use a lot that I really like about things like this, or like you can't pour from an empty cup. So I think it like really is so important for us to be taking care of ourselves and, and understanding that we can't fix people in that way. Uh, but it's, it's so hard for people who have big hearts and, and are empathetic to not fall into those codependent type of behaviors. Uh, especially when you're talking about close friends and family, because those are people who you're never going to give up on who you love so much who like you will, you will run up to their door and be knocking on it a million times. And it's such a hard pill to swallow. But whether it's with someone you barely know, or, or a sibling or a parent, like, they have to want to do it. Otherwise, it doesn't even matter. And, and I've had times where I've had to let people who I really cared about kind of let go a little bit and, and let them kind of figure it out or, or unfortunately hit a rock bottom or, or some sort of bump in the road for them to really get it and, and, and want to start. Yeah, I can relate to that very, very deeply. Just recently trying to improve the mental health of um, my father and really trying to give him all of the resources that I have. And I'm really fortunate to have a depth of relation of relationships from an outpatient all the way up to inpatient to residential. But I also knew that with my father, I could only advise so much before I spooked him and then he would retreat. So I had to kind of balance how much I gave. And it was so hard because I knew I could technically quote, fix a lot of the problems in terms of like resources. And at the same time, I had to hold myself back. So I didn't spook them. Mm -hmm. And so what I would tell myself would be the, the, and statement, I can give him information now and I can give him information later, or mm -hmm. I can not answer his call right now. And I can call him in three hours. So I used the and statement because I was able to kind of hold the emotion that I had and the desire I had to fix everything with like the logic and the facts that I wasn't available 24 seven. And I also know that he didn't want me to over invest. And so I balanced out my thoughts and feelings with this and, mm -hmm. So I could have like multiple views at the same time. And that was really helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what that situation is like for you. Like talk about boundaries. It's like, you're, you're a professional in this space and this is also your parent and you see them struggling. It, it, it becomes so kind of enmeshed and, and complicated that I'm sure that must've been really tough to navigate. Yeah, it was. And, um, you know, one of the things how we talked about, if someone's not ready to hear or be interested in mental health, you can't push that on them. And mm -hmm. at the end, at the, my dad passed the summer. And then at the end of my dad's life, he was saying words like anxiety and worry and social phobias. So it was very validating and kind of, I think one of the last gifts he gave me, which was seeking out my help, acknowledging mental health, using all the words that I've used for the last 11 years. And just really, I think showing me that his generation can change. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends in the Midwest who think that their parents cannot change, um, Same. but they can. So I think that at the end of his life, you know, he was proof to me that even the people who 
our generations above us that we think are not interested in mental health conversations when they're ready or if they're ready, the human spirit can really change and they can change really rapidly and turn to young people and ask for help. So mm-hmm. I always say, you know, maybe he doesn't, you know, he meaning someone else's father, like as if a client maybe was, you know, saying that their father won't change or something. It's in this moment, he does not have the capacity to change. And in one day, in one year, in 10 years, he may have the capacity to change, but right now he does not have the capacity to change. So don't ask him for things that he doesn't have the capacity to give you. And he may have it in the future. So again, it goes back to that and statement of kind of balancing out those two different views that gives you a chance to really have hope and optimism at the mm-hmm. same time as you're not overstretching yourself because you think that you, you know, you can fix everything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a really beautiful moment that you guys got to have. And, and I'm sorry for your loss there. I think it's in all of us somewhere. And I, I completely agree. I think a big thing that I think about is the awareness and like the educational piece of like so many people from our parents' generation might not even know what anxiety is or what it actually feels like. And it's like being able to identify and actually know what's going on and like being in tune with our body, which is like always trying to communicate with us and like listening to it of like, oh, I've been having chest pains for the last 30 years. And I thought it was because of the diet Coke I was drinking. It's like, no, you're really anxious about something and like something is going on. So I feel like the work that we're doing and that so many people are doing in the space, if we can just kind of get, that generation's ear a little bit. And and they're definitely curious because it's a movement that's for sure happening and, and just understanding more about how it does affect them because it does affect us all that it could really turn things around. And, and I'm super optimistic about that. Is personal growth something that you've always been interested in, but you haven't really known where to start? If your answer is yes, then I wrote an entire planner series with you in mind. This planner series is broken down into five steps that are focused on helping you become more resilient and confident. Each step includes pages of insight and skills from my personal and professional experiences and ends with 30 days of space for you to practice what you've learned. It's as simple as that. Five steps towards growth and resilience. Learn more at www.buplanner.com. And be sure to check out the subscription option, which gets you a planner delivered to your door every month for the next five months. Since you're a well, not perfect listener, you can get 10% off your order using code. Well, not perfect. Happy growing. Because we're talking about optimism, I need to go into a little bit more about your organization, local optimism. You're lending that platform to do something for the good, which I just want to say, like, thank you. It is so inspiring. And I hope people listening here who have some platform on any level can kind of chip off something of that and grow something else. What happened between Mad Happy and Local Optimism? Like, what was that whole thing about? Yeah, um, it it started kind of quick when we came up with the Local Optimist, wanting it to be kind of what we called our community and like what people could really feel like they were joining whether you're buying our product or not there are ways to be a member of the local optimist group and then once we really fleshed out that our mission was about mental health and what mad happy really meant and and what we wanted to do with it to change the world we were like we need to have a mental health resource that really 
helps people and is free and is beautiful to look at and is engaging and really makes people feel better about themselves and, and makes them want to be a part of this conversation. So we launched the local optimists, like I want to say maybe a year and a half after mad happy. And, and it really is our go-to mental health resource where we're providing so much amazing free content on there for everyone to check out from toolkits by professionals to personal stories. I think one of my favorite things that we do is, is we have an open door for any one of our members of our community to write a story about a mental health experience that they've had or something that they've gone through, or we're always fielding different ideas and, and topics and discussions that, that they want us to cover. And I think the whole idea around optimism was really like, there's so much in life that we can't control and that just kind of happens to us and we have no say over. And I always try and really focus and, and invest my time and energy on the things that I can control that I can have a difference on. And I think one of those biggest things that we all have in our control is, is our mindset and, and our attitude and like how we want to approach every day. And I think if we can choose to kind of lead with optimism in that way, that it will really live to such a more beautiful life. And, and I'm not discounting some of the darker moments that, that are going to come, but if we really kind of focus on that optimistic mentality, um, I know that it's really helped me a lot. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I write to myself a lot. And a lot of it is the spewing of emotions and thoughts and all the things that are just like very, just on the surface, you know, experience. So I was writing a lot about how we can be depressed. We can be grieving. Like I, I am sad and I can have a mindset that obviously I'm trained, <laughs> very trained to have that mindset. I'm not saying it's natural. Um, but it's your mental health and it's the mindset that is a responder to your experiences that make you anxious or they make you depressed. And we're losing the conversation there. I think about mental health a little bit, which is like, yes, go to therapy. Yes. Medication. Yes. Self-care and mindset really. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's, that's what this podcast is about. Um, so it leads me to another question I have for you, which is what is the mindset you have that even when you're anxious or depressed or not feeling good, that you still show up in your life or your work? Yeah, it's definitely hard. I mean, I've, I've battled depression probably since I was like a young kid. I feel like I'll always be depressed in, in some way. I've always considered myself a really sad person and almost grown to really feel comfortable in it. Um, I think what you were saying about journaling is so powerful for me because I've, I've had moments where I've really been in a great habit of, of journaling too. And I think a big thing that I talk about a lot is just expressing yourself somehow, like getting it out in some way, shape or form, whether that's journaling, whether that's talking to your dog, whether that's like drawing a picture or a little doodle or like some way to just get out whatever you're feeling. It doesn't even have to be coherent. So I think for me, I really check in with myself. I, I listen to my body. Like I said, if, if I feel like something's wrong, that means like something's wrong nine out of 10 times. Um, what I do at work, honestly, I have a habit of like, if I'm feeling anxious or, or something I'm struggling with, I'll, I'll get up, I'll go outside, I'll take a walk for five, 10 minutes, just loop around the block, uh, kind of talk to myself, I use like positive affirmations a lot to really get myself 
grounded in reality. I think so much of my anxiety and depression is just in my head and things that aren't very factual and, and me playing out scenarios that often end negatively that are five steps away from even being a step away from happening. So it's really like, how can I feel my feet on the floor, feel myself on earth, uh, tell myself some facts about what I have to do today and, and things that I'm looking forward to doing. And then that usually kind of calms me down. There's a quote about anxiety that I really love, which is the worst moments of my life never came true. And I think that's really what I try and remind myself when I'm feeling anxious or, or kind of in a rut. I have recently been talking to um, a colleague of mine and mm -hmm. she and I have been talking about, you know, we often rate our level of anxiety, but we don't rate our level of happiness or we don't rate our level of satisfaction. So now instead of just really just rating anxiety, we also rate the belief that you can have positive feelings and positive emotions. So the question is on a scale of one to 10, 10 being a volcano erupting, how anxious are you? And mm -hmm. you can say a 10. And then you say on a scale of one to 10, saying that 10 is the butterfly that flies out of the cocoon and a zero is the caterpillar. You know, are you the caterpillar? Are you in the cocoon? Or are you the butterfly flying? And so usually they actually have a bit of a balance, you know, the higher anxiety, the lower, the belief of happiness, the higher belief of happiness, the lower level of anxiety. So we've been rating two different experiences and that's been really mm. helpful to really just try to advance, you know, if someone's doing that already, like, Hey, here's another skill, a second, you know, a second way to kind of tweak that a little bit. Yeah. That's so important because people don't realize that mental health is, is a spectrum of all our emotions. I think 90% of people probably when they think of mental health, they think of the really dark side of it. And they think of depression and they think of anxiety and they think of suicide. And, and to them, that is their idea of mental health. And I think that's such a great exercise that you guys are doing because we have to make people aware that happiness and, and joy and excitement and surprise and, and all these other things, those are just as much mental health, completely a part of the conversation as well. So like the more people can understand how wide the spectrum of mental health really is, the more it won't seem like such a big and scary thing to really get started on. Yeah. It's not dark. It is not secretive. It's not hidden. It is open. It's honest. It's bright. And it is everybody and we're getting there. I'm really surprised in the last three years, how much it's changed. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way and we all do over here, which is kind of the moment that that mental health is having and how awesome it is to be a part of it and, and see how people are really starting to view it completely differently. I mean, I think a silver lining of the pandemic was that it really brought mental health to the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And, and we were all stuck inside our homes for a year, a year plus, and without those distractions and, and vices and, and different ways that we were medicating ourselves, it really forced people to deal with a lot of their shit and both personally and in their relationships and family dynamics and, and all these kind of things. And it kind of, everyone was struggling, uh, but I kind of see that almost as as a positive in the way of it forced people to really recognize their struggles and want to 
have their first therapy session or, or have that conversation with their spouse or their friend or their sibling that they were putting off because they could just leave the house right after dinner as soon as they got home and, and things like that. So I feel like if there was any good that, that came out of such a tragic pandemic, um, it was that people are, are really taking their mental health a lot more seriously. Yeah, it was a rebalancing of some energy in the mental health space. You know, the people who stressed and commuted two hours and didn't see their families all of a sudden were back at home 24 hours a day with a family and, you know, not yeah. stressed because they weren't in those meetings. So it, it probably was a little bit too much of a pendulum swing for people, which <laughs> is a, which is its own crisis in a sense. But I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, if the effort is just to recalibrate between these two extremes, now is the opportunity to recalibrate. And that's maybe the most beautiful thing of the pandemic is the mindset of, okay, well, how does this give me an opportunity to recalibrate? Um, we could talk about the tragedies of COVID-19 and we could talk about the amazing blessings of COVID-19, but I think where you and I have kind of settled on, it sounds like is that, you know, in like constant adjustment, we kind of find our place and that's in mindset work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think like what I was saying before, like none of us could control what happened with COVID. So that happened and it changed so much of what our days look like. And it's all things that we have absolutely no control. And I think that's really scary for a lot of people to lose that power, that authority, that kind of routine that we're all so used to and just not knowing is, is really terrifying. So I think people sitting with that unknown really brought up a lot of things. And, and I love what you said about some of the positives that it brought to, because I have friends and, and family friends, like parents who have kids and all their kids had already graduated college and, and were living their lives. And for a year, they got to live with all their kids again. And that was like so beautiful for them. So, you know, some people really had amazing moments and were able to really rebuild relationships and, and get to spend time with loved ones that they would have never really had otherwise. So it is obviously a large spectrum of, of everyone's experience. And I think now that hopefully we're, we're coming out of it, my hope is that people can take some of those things that they learned and feelings that they had and, and conversations and, and strides in their mental health and want to continue to work on them, even with the world being open again. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. And before we end, I, like I told you, dug deep into your content, <laughs> your podcasts, those sweatpants are on order. I mean, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Um, you ask a question at the end of your podcast, which is, you know, if there's someone else that you think needs to be heard yeah. on a platform, such as a podcast, who do you think that person would be? And, um, why did they kind of come to your mind? Oh, that's a good one. Putting a, uh, putting our own question back at me, huh? <laughs> uh, I mean, the first person that, that I've always thought of is Barack Obama mainly because that was like the first person that I ever voted for. That was kind of the first uh, political leader for me becoming an adult. And I feel like we'd never really hear about mental health in politics at all. And I think just that sort of pressure and I would just love to hear what kind of effect that had on his mental health. And, and if he was 
going to therapy or while he was in office or just like what what kind of support system uh, do our leaders have on that level? Because I think the those are jobs that affect millions and hundreds of millions of people. And it's really I'm just curious about how they view mental health and, and how they're taking care of their own mental health, because those are the people that I want to be uh, taking it seriously and and really believing in it. Yeah, that's a great point. I read both Michelle and Barack Obama's books, and I don't believe yeah. the therapy was mentioned, although they leaned obviously very heavily on their advisors. And Absolutely. I would imagine that somewhere in there, there's a very deep therapeutic relationship in the group advisors that they surround themselves with. But I'd be very, very interested. Yeah. Barack I think Obama, just like a, call us. Like, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> The human element too, like these guys are, these men and women are also just people who have families and, and pets and all these kinds of things. It's like there has to be something that that they're experiencing that could really inspire a lot of people. Uh, so I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a level of self-care there that we don't know just yeah. because yeah. they go from not knowing a lot to knowing everything as a president, probably within a couple of hours. Yeah. Well, you know, we're probably like a couple of degrees away from Barack Obama. Maybe he can <laughs> let you us never know. know. You let never us know. know. Yeah, you never know. Well, thanks for coming on the show. And if people want to find you and reach you, where's the best place to go? Yeah, uh, you can find us at Matt Happy at Local Optimist. Uh, and then I'm at Mason Speck on Instagram. Uh, also check out localoptimist.com for all of those cool resources and content that I was talking about. And then we also launched our own show, uh, the Matt Happy Podcast back in June. So you can find us there too, wherever you listen to your voices. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. And this is another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Thank you for listening to season two. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button and consider leaving me a review. And for more information on all things podcast, check us out at Instagram, well, not perfect, and DM us any questions you have and content that you'd love to see this season. See you next week.